season three, episode three, Bearded Carcast. We are getting ready for week three in the NFL. Kind of an interesting first two weeks of the season. Some interesting college storylines that we'll get into. Maybe a little bit off the beaten path. We'll talk about some of maybe our best travel stories, some of our best games that we've been to. And uh, Dave and I have some Winthrop updates. But first, I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman. We are glad to be, have our friend Reggie Walker with us, played football at Penn State, was uh, with the uh, Panthers for a short time. Now uh, is a media executive here in Charlotte. Uh, but uh, we're glad you're here with us, Reg. And Dave, glad you're with us. And we got Bella, too. We're in the uh, the, the skybox here. At, uh, we'll see Casa if she Freeman. has any commentary as the uh, <laughs> as the podcast moves she, along. She might be the only reason to listen to this podcast. Now, you say that there's some interesting NFL injuries that happens every year. This is no different than any other year where there are significant injuries. The difference is it is big name superstar quarterbacks. But the NFL is altered week to week, month to month, year to year by who is healthy and who isn't. It's the reason, Reg, why the 18-game season is a huge cash grab, but it's going to be who's left standing. Well, that's exactly right. And I think if you're going to go to an 18-game season like they're talking about, you're going to have to expand rosters, period. There is no way you can continue with 53 and go to 18 games. It's going to be a mass unit. And, and getting back to the the people that we're talking about that are injured right now, you're talking about not just big names. You're talking about Hall of Fame football yeah. players. You're talking about Ben Roethlisberger. You're talking about Drew Brees. I mean, you're talking about players and names that have been synonymous with this league as it really fully ushered in an era to where the passing game became the staple of offenses in yeah. the NFL. We're going to talk about quarterbacks, and we'll go in-depth on them a little bit. But is it maybe the injuries that people aren't paying as much attention to that play a huge role? Derwin James of, of the Chargers, I almost said San Diego, out <laughs> in the opener, safety. His backup, out in week number two. This is a Charger franchise that has a pretty good roster, kind of ready to contend, and for about the eighth straight year, they can't keep anyone in the backside healthy. At some point, that has to play a role in their success and failure. Absolutely, because it goes back to the point I just made. This is a passing era of football. If you can throw the football, you're in it. If you don't have healthy defensive backs, you're not in it. That's why the Steelers yeah. looked around and they go, we're getting crushed. Yeah, we're going to lose Ben for the year, but we can be better on defense. And the reason why is because we don't have guys in the back four, back five, if you want to play some nickel stuff. Sure. We don't have guys back there that can cover anybody. We're going to go get Minka Fitzpatrick. You just mentioned the Chargers, Derwin James. You look at the situation going on in Jacksonville. Jalen Ramsey wants out of there. Yeah. They don't want to let that guy go. I, I, their price tag is so high because he's one of the few guys with a manageable contract right now that can yeah. actually cover in the back end. That's hard to find. The Patriots have been amazing through two weeks, but they lose lineman Isaiah Wynn. How does that factor into what they do? Well, the, <laughs> the problem when you look at the Patriots and you think about that franchise is there's, like, no fear. Like, someone gets hurt and you go, who cares? Yeah. As long as it's not 12, I think they're okay. Now, I'm still trying to figure out how Patrick Chung continues to take the field with everything swirling around sure. him. That's a whole nother conversation. But this is a football team and an organization that understands what it is that they're trying to do, and they're so consistent in their message that 
you don't even fear when a guy goes down. Well, and at this day and age, too, I mean, you think next man up, and that's kind of usually a team says, next man up, and you just laugh at them. Like, okay, yeah, next, I get it, but come on, your next man up's not the next man up. But with, with them, they're able to cycle in guys. They're able to handle a whole array of stuff, dude, not just Patrick Chung, but, you know, everything with going on with Antonio Brown and, and what's going on in his personal life. Now there's, I guess, more accusations coming to light or, or uh, some dealing with the um, – you know, sexual assault or uh, sexual improprieties, and some other just some other stuff like throwing furniture out the window. I mean, so he doesn't sound like a great guy. He does not. <laughs> and it took me a second because I had to think of it. Okay, be honest. I looked it up. Um, no, see, w- no one knows that we're not. Ta- well, this isn't a, this That's isn't right, a video I'll podcast. I'll tell the truth. <laughs> so the <laughs> I would ask this: Who is probably the third most important person in the Patriots franchise from a football standpoint? I'm not talking Robert Kraft. I'm not talking them. Just from a pure football standpoint. On field? Yes. You're the Patriots fan. The third most important guy on that team. The most unassuming. It's the most unassuming person. The the first two being Belichick and Brady? Correct. Probably Josh McDaniel. No. I like that concept. Dante Scarnecchia. Dante Scarnecchia, yeah. It doesn't matter who plays offensive line there. Yeah. They're going to – somehow – this guy could be found on a scrap heap, right. overweight, out of shape, sure. can't pull, can't do this, can't do that. Skarnecchia gets him for two weeks, and all of a sudden the dude's a pro bowler that can pull better than anybody else but in the league. let's not forget, they won the Super Bowl last year because of the defense, and the defense has been incredible the first two weeks this year. That's I Belichick. think you can argue that the strength of their team is not the side with Antonio Brown and Tom Brady right now. I no, would agree no, with but that, it, but, but that, still, that's but, Belichick. But it's still top, but it's still a quarterback league, though. I mean, you still have to have a top flight quarterback. You still, look, it, it's we, we always talk about one way or the other. Listen, football is a complementary game. It's you know we always talk about uh, uh, you know one side or the other. But you know when we talk to Marty Herney on the postgame show all the time, and even you hear Ron Rivera talking about this. It's compl- you know it, you can't just have one without the other. So let's talk about the quarterbacks. They they draw the most attention, and as Mike mentions, rightfully so. And, and we can rifle through them, or we can go in any order you want. But it appears that Eli Manning's days are done. Yeah. Logical decision for the Giants. I disagree. Okay. And here's why. Their offensive line still isn't very good. They spent money on it, but it's still not yeah. very good. Their defensive secondary can't stop a nosebleed. They haven't stopped a soul in three years. Not one. They just started stopping souls from pass rushing with the offensive line this year a little bit. Who's the receiver on that roster that scares you? But but to what end? There if is Eli one. plays and they go 6-10, and 10, why not see 14 games from Daniel Jones? What does that get you? It gets you more experience and more reps. It gives but you if more you're not that good, maybe it gets the kid killed too. That's that's my point. If you If you go out there and allow this kid – to take the Cam Newton punishment. We're talking about yeah. that, right? The Andrew Luck type of punishment. The, hold on. Let me go all the way back. David Carr punishment. What good is he for you in three or four years? So when can he play? I think you. I think the kid should play when he can protect himself and the offensive line can help him protect himself. But, but that might be three years from now. Th- guess what? <laughs> guess what? Then you're a bad organization and the GM needs to be fired because the reality is the quarterback is the ultimate investment in the NFL. Right. You have to protect your investment. Or you get Andrew Luck, Derek Carr, or I'm sorry, David Carr, and Cam Newton. That's what you get. You get guys that get destroyed 
way too early in their careers, and they never become the players that they're supposed to become. Now I add to that, and, and this is a, a, a longer-form discussion with the quarterback position, you've also got to start making some true evaluations with quarterbacks earlier, but it's hard to do, and these players are convincing teams to pay them much earlier. Yeah. When they come out of college at 20 years old and they play four years, they're 24, and you got to decide, do I give this 24-year-old $100 million at 24? Whereas before, when they came out at 23 years old, you're 27 when you decide if you got to make that other big investment. Yeah. That, that's part of the problem. If you look at Cam Newton, he's 30 years old. He's looking for the next big contract. But he's 30. Is it time to give it? Do you want to give him that and go long-term? Eli Manning's 36. I get it. It's time. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is old, and now yes. he's out. Correct. And I don't know if the Steelers know what they have with Mason Rudolph, but he's the guy, whether they want it to be the guy or not. The deal for Minka Fitzpatrick, you have seen people run the gauntlet on opinions about this. I think you and I are on the same side of this. I think when you can get a really good player, you go get a really good player, particularly when they are price controlled and particularly when your team can still make the playoffs and contend. And you're talking about a guy that was just drafted a year, just over a year ago, which means it's not like you're about to pay him in the very near future. Have the Steelers done a little bit of what we see baseball teams do now? Starting pitching is too expensive at the trade deadline. I'll go get a reliever. Yeah, their quarterback went down. They've got a backup. They're going to use him. But work team is going to need to be helped out in another spot. Let's go get the best available player, period. Yeah, because what, what this trade tells me is we know without Ben – we can't win games 35-34. We can't. We're going to have to win them 20-13. to 13. Right. We need to go get a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick. We need to be able to slow the other football teams down because we can't keep up the way we used to with a guy like Ben back there. And, and that's called understanding the change in your team when you have to change a particular player. That's – those are the types of things that, look, the Steelers as an organization, and people talk about Tomlin, 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 Tomlin. I get that. And then they talk about the Roonies. Oh, by the way, to have that much success, you got to have a good GM too. Yeah. And you got to have good people in scouting. you got to have good people in player personnel. They have all that. The Dolphins don't have any of that. They no. don't have an established owner that's one. They don't have a GM or a coach that have much of a track record. They get another asset, a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, who they just took at number 11 two years ago, and maybe that pick ends up being something similar to that or, or something in the mid-rounds. It looks to me like it's a two-year rebuild because if you're trading guys that you still have several years of service ahead of you, and then you can franchise, and then you can sign long-term, if it's just one more year you're drafting a quarterback and you're contending why wouldn't you want him on your roster? To me, it's a sign that, okay, in two years, now Fitzpatrick's been on the roster for three years, we're getting close to the point we're going to have to make a decision on him, we're going to have to pay him, and that's when we're actually shooting for it. Do you see what the Dolphins are doing? <sighs> yes and no. Um, and, and I'll give you the no first. 
if I'm Brian Flores, I'm on the first thing smoking to get the hell out I of Miami. I disagree. He had to be on board with this beforehand. There's well, no I, way they hired him and didn't tell him this was the plan. I, I don't. I, I agree with that, but I don't think they expected them to. I mean, it's one thing to say we're going to start over. It's another thing to trade a first-round pick yeah. in Laramie Tunsil that you just got two years ago. And then you turn around and trade a Minka Fitzpatrick. It's yeah. the Browns model. Well, no, what it is, well, could be. Now, he, let me finish the part on the no. Um, historically, a lot of times in these situations, what happens when the draft picks come to fruition and the team is ready to turn? Then they go, well, we're not sure if this coach is the guy that can take it over the hump. Then they fire Brian Flores, and then they go get somebody, Josh McDaniel, whoever that name is, that hot coordinator that year is. Harbaugh to be named later. Right. That's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And so I sit here and I look at this with Brian Flores and they're stockpiling these picks, right? He's the head coach. They're going to go find Kellen Moore, the 31-year-old offensive coordinator that's all of a sudden a genius and say, here's this team that's built. Here you go. And Brian Flores is out in the cold. Now, on the flip side of that, the yes – I don't say I don't call it the Browns model. You know what model I call this? Sixers? No. Seattle Seahawks. This is how they built Legion of Boom. Fourth round, fifth round picks. Earl uh Cam Chancellor was, I believe, a fourth round pick. Um Richard Sherman was a fifth or fourth or sixth round pick or something like that. They built that defense on lower draft picks that they didn't miss. And they had all those guys under control. Now, they had to pay them all at once. Yep. But they had them all under control for that four- or five-year stretch. And that's when they got in there and won their Super Bowl. Uh, and Russell Wilson. Was that's the other thing. Russell Wilson pick. was another value. And, and, right. And he obviously wasn't being paid that much when he led the team. And that's the key for the Dolphins. If you get that next Russell Wilson, whether it's Herbert on Oregon or Tagovailoa on Alabama, or you wait two years and it's Lawrence on Clemson, you have to hit on that guy. Unfortunately for the Dolphins, they don't have John Dorsey. That's I mean, true. John Dorsey picked the right quarterback in Kansas City and the right yeah. quarterback in Cleveland. If the Dolphins go through this entire deal and they pick a guy who's another Ryan Tannehill, it doesn't work. And, and Well, the funny thing about picking the right guy in Kansas City that's now become the trend, which is why K Cliff Kingsbury got the job in Arizona, is we got to find one of these air raid quarterbacks. Yep. Hello, GMs. Tim Couch, Graham Harrell. I, I mean, I can name so many of these guys that didn't work. Yep. They finally get one, and everybody goes, Cliff Kingsbury's a genius. Yep. Nah, people. He ain't no genius. Yep. He ain't no genius. He is who we thought he was. Well, and he's going to be as good as <laughs> Kyler Murray is and, and everything they bring in around him. As we move the discussion towards the NFC South, the one other big quarterback news was Drew Brees. Mm. But he's not out forever. No, he's out like for six probably weeks, right? six, six weeks. weeks or so. Is there any reason to believe in a division which appears to be wide open and probably isn't going to take 11 or 12 wins to to win the division, that between Teddy Bridgewater and your uh, Wildcat quarterback or whatever you want to call Swiss your kind of yeah Swiss Army knife, that you can't go, you know, 500 without Breeze. He got a lot of talent around him there. This is kind of a Sean Payton-type challenge, right? He's been thrown a, a wrinkle, and he's kind of an offensive guy. He can figure it out. Don't you think when Breeze comes back, they're going to be alive? Absolutely. I completely believe that. 
Um, they they are improved on defense. They're not great on defense, but they're improved on what they have been. Uh, they've still got Kamara as a playmaker. They've still got the wide receiver group. And look, I, I I've been one of those that's been generally high on Teddy Bridgewater. Do I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer? No. Do I think he's a solid NFL quarterback? Yes. The thing that hurt him in Minnesota right when he turned the corner is when he got hurt. So you look at him now. He's been in New Orleans this now, I believe, the second season in this system. So in theory, he understands what Sean Payton's trying to do. I'm not going to sit here and say he can perform at the level of Drew Brees. But you know what? If I set Teddy, sit, sit Teddy Bridgewater down, and say to him, listen, Teddy, if you can be efficient in the passing game, give me about 62% completions, and, and if, you're, if you're just giving me 225 a game passing and you're not throwing the football to the other team, we've got a chance to win football games. I think Teddy Bridgewater can do that, and I think if people don't think Teddy can do that, I want to know what they've been looking at. Well, here's the other thing, too. I mean, When you look at uh, all the backups now that are going to be playing this week, uh, he's probably the guy that you're most comfortable with, right? Uh, that That's the other I part I mean, Luke, Luke Falk is going to start for the Jet. No, no, Falk's a Washington State guy. He's he's no uh, issue. <laughs> Air Raid, Mike Leach. Right, but another, but those two both six-round picks. Correct. Uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and then, you know, you have, uh, I don't know, I, to me, they're probably in the best position of all those teams. The, um, you mean the Saints? The Saints are. Absolutely. Just because Teddy Bridgewater, I think, has the ability to at least keep them – uh, keep them stable. I mean, you look at what do they have coming up. They have the Cowboys this week, so that's going to be that's, yeah, that's going to be tough. Gonna be rough. That's going to be tough, right? So you get then the Buccaneers, but th- I mean, you know, the Buccaneers I think looked better because because Daryl Williams 100%. is a turnstile. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, listen, I I don't understand. Here's the thing that got me about that watching that game, and I'll and I'll get it right back to you, Mike. Is this is an offensive line that for the most part handled Aaron Donald. That's the best defensive player in the game. And he was handled by this Panthers offensive line. And then they play the Bucs and they can't block a statue. It was amazing to me to see the regression of the offensive line in three days. Yeah. Granted, that's part of probably part of it was three days. Let's ask this question. And, And you would be following line play and know this much better than Mike or I. But is a part of the way teams can now scheme for the Panthers' offense with an understanding that your quarterback is no longer mobile. Can you play different defensively knowing that Cam is no threat to run? It's a different, yeah. You can, you can but I don't, I don't even think they're looking at it that way. They're looking at it going, he can't beat us deep. He won't beat us deep. Right. That's what they're looking at. They're going, if we heat him up, he can check down to McCaffrey all day. Right. We're going to send five or send six, play zone behind it so we can see where he throws the ball and rally up because he's just going to check down to McCaffrey right. or he's going to try to check to Olsen. They already realize who can run with Curtis Samuel? Not many. Who can run with DJ Moore? Not many when he's not fumbling. So at the end of the day, they're looking at this team and going, if we rally up to McCaffrey on a short throw, if we keep – Greg Olson somewhat in check. The only fear is Jarius Wright going over the middle. Right. Well, if it's a deep in, Cam's not going to have time to make that throw to Jarius Wright. Right. And so they're looking at it going, we're not going to give him enough time to throw anything intermediate to deep, and we can rally up to the short stuff. It, regardless of whether his shoulder is healthy or not, we're not even going to give him the opportunity to try to figure that out because we're going to heat him up. 
and the one thing too that happened, you know, especially after he hurt his his foot in the game, we didn't realize that at the time. But a lot of those plays, Reggie, that maybe he didn't have anything, he would then tuck and run and get twelve, thirteen yards. That that was out of play. So now you take the deep ball out, and then you take. I mean, they were really able to hem the Panthers into a, a tight box. Correct. And my other issue with Cam, regardless of the foot, is, and this is something he's. I feel like he's never learned how to do. When the pocket starts to collapse, generally from the edges, right. he still has not learned, unless it's collapsing right in front of you, step forward uh, yeah. in the po- He rarely steps forward in the pocket. And I, I've seen, you know, Daniel Jones, that's why I think he's going to be pretty good because his pocket awareness is really good. I've seen situations, even when he was in college, when it started to collapse around him, he would just step up, continue to keep reading yeah. the field, and make a throw. Cam Newton, in my opinion, has never shown a propensity to do that on a consistent level, and that's part of the issue that I've always had with him as a quarterback. Oftentimes, look at the numbers. When he gets sacked, some quarter, when Tom Brady gets sacked, it's a three-yard loss, at worst four. Yeah. When Cam Newton gets sacked, it's twelve. Yeah, take because he goes yeah. backwards, and and I don't, I've never understood why. He hasn't processed the ability to value every yard. I, I've Even a guy like Eli Manning, never been the most mobile guy, when he sees that he's about to get crushed, he goes down. And you know what? That saves the wear and tear. That saves the yardage. And it allows your football team to line up again. So looking big picture, there is no Daniel Jones in Charlotte. If Cam Newton can't play, you've got – a placeholder at quarterback, unless you think Will Greer is that guy. I don't think many think he's the guy right now. Maybe well, they already said that if Cam doesn't go, it's Kyle Allen. Right. So looking at where the Panthers are, not for this week, but for this year and next year and going forward, what are the chances that Cam Newton gets healthy and is good again? Like, is there a possibility that this is it? That's a possibility. It's all... First of all, in the NFL, that's always a distinct possibility. Uh, I think he can get healthy um, and play well. Um, I but, still but think he's a limited quarterback. Healthy enough you can rely on him. Like, I think so. I think so. And and I think I. Th- but I think that starts with you've got to ask yourself a serious question. He's year. got to commit to being a different type of quarterback. He's got to commit to being a different type of quarterback. What and type of quarterback? He's got to stand in the pocket and throw the football. He's got to do a better. We've job. never seen him do that. Correct. Except I, I'll tell you the closest thing you saw to that was when he was an MVP. Yeah. And the reason why, now part of the reason why, go back and look at the numbers. How many drives did they have that were 40 yards for a touchdown? The defense was incredible that year. Created a lot of turnovers and did a lot to allow them to have short fields. That was important for this offense, and I think that's part of it. Cam Newton has always been a wildly inaccurate quarterback, period. He just has. At 30 years old, is that really going to change? Probably not. That's just – it's just – that's who he is as a quarterback. So you have and, – and that's why I've, I've also said, look, and I, and I know people may disagree with this philosophy, probably should have reevaluated whether or not they let Devin Funches go. 6'5 hmm. receiver, bigger right. catch radius. Right, yeah, when you throw high, get someone that can catch Correct. High. Oh, by the way, DJ Moore, 5'11 on a good day. Curtis Samuel, 5'10", on a good day. Really fast guys. But if it's not in their catch radius. Right. And if you go back and look at his misses, yes, I'd say 80% high. of them or 70% of them are high. Yes. So, and, and 
what was uh, disappointing on the Thursday night game was he was high and he was behind. Correct. He was high and late, which means one of two things to me. High is just the in, the wild inaccuracy of right. who he is. And behind guys, that it's late, which means either he's not seeing it as fast or his arm is not hearing his brain quickly enough. This, I would argue he's not seeing it Because some people will say like the, the, the throwing from the back foot argument. Is that part of it too? At times, um, and, and, and that goes back to and, – and listen, from everything I've been told, the shoulder is fine. Yeah. I haven't seen anything that tells me the shoulder isn't fine. I say all that to say when you're throwing off your back foot, the strength of your arm is key because that's where you have to make up for the mechanical issue. Right. Maybe that's the problem. I'm not going to sit here and say his arm isn't healthy, but here's the reality. You don't have to have a healthy arm to throw a 12-yard in route. You just have to read it faster. Right. Maybe he's not reading it fast enough, and so by the time he does read it, the fastball isn't what it needs to be. And so you've got, he's probably but got he still to has anticip- zip on the ball, though. Correct. Yeah. But maybe he's got to anticipate more because I remember saying this in, ni- what was it, 1998. I said at the time, Ryan Leaf's arm is much stronger than Peyton Manning's. And most people in the NFL will tell you, Peyton Manning was never probably in the top 10 of strongest arms in the NFL, sure. even, bef- even before the neck injury. Right. But he was at the top of anticipation. Right. Tom Brady does not have the strongest arm. No. But he anticipates so well that he can make up for lack of arm strength with timing and anticipation and accuracy. processing of information yeah. and then pinpoint accuracy. The other piece says we we saw Cam put some footballs in places that you go, well, that's why they keep him as a starter. Yeah. And then two plays later, he misses a layup. You just need him to make the layups. It, we've always said, right, that's the whole thing. Uh, well, that, and that was make 2015. 2015 right. he was making his layups. Make your layups and hit 50% of your jump shots. Yeah. What do you think their chances are this week against Arizona? I think they're pretty good uh, because I think, uh, look, I don't think that Kyler Murray has seen a 3-4, really. Um, and I think some of the things that the Panthers do in the back – by the way, Bradbury, I Well, this may I be the like first time we see that. We really haven't seen a lot of that 3-4 look. Correct. It's been a lot of well, four-man four fronts. Yeah, and I, there's there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, I think right now not having Bruce Irvin – yeah. Um, has impacted them. Um, and so some of those things are a little bit different. I'm not sure Brian Burns um, is holding up as well as maybe they'd like him to um, when they go to some four-man fronts yeah. and different things like that. So I think that's part of it. Uh, by the way, Shaq Thompson playing really well. Not that I'm surprised. No, I'm not either. Um, but I, I do think they have a chance because I think this is going to be a different look for Kyler Murray, number one. And number two – I think that this defensive front is ready to start making some plays. I feel like Bradbury's playing pretty well. That interception he, he had against Tampa yeah. was really, really good. He's also coming towards a contract. Yeah. He's trying to get paid. Guys tend to play better when they're trying to get paid. Dante Jackson's still a young player. He's in his second year, but he's made he makes good plays, and every now and then he's going to do some things that don't make sense. They've reintegrated Trey Boston with Eric Reed. I think this is one of the smarter back four, particularly the two safeties. Yeah. Uh, that we've seen and that the Panthers have had in a long time. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they scheme up for Kyler Murray. Um, and I, But I also think having – if Bruce Irvin is back 
And then you have Brian Burns on the other side on the outside. I think they're going to be able to do a pretty good job keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket and make him stand back there and beat them. But that's going to be hard to do because KK is a big guy. Gerald McCoy, 6'4", 6'5". Can Kyler Murray see and find lanes to throw the football against this defensive front? That's going to be the key. I think they're good enough to slow him down. The question is, will they play well enough to slow him down? Last question on this topic, and then we'll switch gears. This is the Bearded Cardcast. I'm Dave Friedman with Mike Pacheco. Reggie Walker is with us. If they don't find a way this week against Arizona, and then they're a heavy underdog, and they lose to Texans next week, they're 0-4. At that point, do we see change of some sort, or do they wait it out through the bye and see if there's any improvement before week seven? I think usually you wait that out and get to the bye week if you're going to make changes. I don't anticipate an in-season change of anything major. Um, the big piece of it is I, I, th- <laughs> I think this defense is actually playing pretty well. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just think it's a – look, it's a wildly inconsistent quarterback right now um, and a running game that, listen, you, I'll lay it out like this. So, I – as everybody knows, I'm a Penn State guy. So I was up at Penn State in April, and one of the offensive coaches was like, what do you think of what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. And as he's asking the question, James Franklin walked up, which I thought was great because I was ready for this. And I said, listen, the first problem I have with the offense, and it's really the main problem I have, it's kind of the only one, everything can't be a zone read look in the running game because you you make it easy to defend the running game. Right. It's either the quarterback's going to keep it or the running back's going to get it going the way that he's coming from anyway because everything's out of the shotgun. Guess what my problem is with the Panthers' running game? Most of it looks like yeah. zone read concept. Get rid of that. You, I don't have a problem with you adding it or having it, but everything can't look that way. It simplifies what I have to defend. If I, need to, if I have to be prepared that every once in a while – here's the thing. What did you keep Alex Arma on the roster for? If you're never going to put him in the backfield in a third and short or fourth and short with Christian McCaffrey behind him and make people figure out, am I going to hand it to Arma? Am I going to hand it to McCaffrey? Or am I going to go do something else and bootleg and let Cam keep it? Part of the problem is there's no intrigue in the running game. And everybody in the world knows if McCaffrey comes off the field, which they got to get better about making sure he takes rest during games – they know they're not going to run the football because am I afraid? Seriously, if Scarlett's in the backfield or Bonifon's in the backfield, am I afraid that Cam Newton's going to let one of those guys keep it? No. Yeah. Cam's going to keep that. Unless McCaffrey's on the field, Cam is keeping the football, period. And when McCaffrey's on the field, Cam ain't keeping the football, period. That's a big part of the problem is they're not making defenses think. Yeah. You have to make people think. because That's why Sean McVay is having success. I didn't say he was great. I said having success. They make people think. Andy Reid, they're making people think. Right. That's what New offense England. is about. New England makes you think. That's why I thought the Saints were so good in the last couple of years when they had Ingram and Kamara. Yeah. Just put them both in the backfield. Right, you don't know who's getting it. Who's getting you don't know who's getting it or if they're going to throw it. Right. Because they can play action and then throw it to Kamara. Right. They can hand it to Ingram. They can throw it down the field. They can do so many things. 
put all your weapons on the field at the same time and make people try to figure out who's getting the football. But offensively, particularly in the running game, this is a predictable running game. And I it, listen, to me, the call at the end of the Tampa game, people can say what they want about it should have been Cam on a sneak. That's fair. My thing is, Christian McCaffrey's a strong running back. He's I can I've seen him in person once a, at least once a year since he's been in the league. His body gets bigger and stronger every year. Turn around and hand him the football coming downhill at the line of scrimmage, he picks up that yard. Alex Arma, you got a full – I just mentioned him. Yeah. Why are you keeping a fullback on the roster if you're not going to use him? Turn around and hand it to him going forward. If that guy can't get six inches, I've always said this, offensive line in third and fourth and short, offensive line, defensive line, that's attitude. Do you want it or not? That's a chance to get a first down inside the five-yard line and then have three cracks at getting a touchdown. I would have challenged my offensive line to make plays right then and there and create lanes to get in the end zone. This is the Bearded Carcast, Dave Friedman, Mike Pacheco, Reggie Walker. Reggie used to work for College Game Day on ESPN, which means cool environments and different travel and places to see and food and all of that. That's kind of where the Bearded Carcast came from. That's right. Mike and I broadcast Winthrop University basketball games. Well, not from College games. Game Day, but... Well, <laughs> but... but, but Y'all were coming to people's city. Yes, we are. Exactly. And Winthrop's basketball schedule was released last week, and we're excited to be going to Duke the day after yeah. Thanksgiving. A great trip to California to play Fresno State in St. Mary's. There's a guarantee game to play TCU. You're forgetting the great city of Hartford. And Hartford, Connecticut. The heartbeat, baby. So... In your years doing this and traveling, what are the memories of a favorite environment or a favorite city, a favorite place? The Panthers go to Phoenix this yep. week. That's a place that is desirable for a lot of people, a lot of good weather, good restaurants, etc. When you think back on your career playing or working in production, where were the places that you saw on the schedule and you circled and you said, yes? Well, <laughs> the Rose Bowl. I mean, oh, that yeah. was that was awesome. Um, and, I, and the cool thing about one of my Rose Bowl trips is I actually got to see Penn State play. Um, they got ran out of the stadium by USC. That's a whole other story. Um, but it was, it was quite the scene. Um, you know, that, that game is played right around noonish out there. Yeah. Um, it's a 3.30 kick on the East Coast, and it's, it's just an interesting scene. Um, it's, the vibe is great. Um, the setting um, the only thing that was missing was hearing Keith Jackson on the call yeah. with all due respect to Brent who called it that day. Um, because Keith just had a way. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that's one of the, you know, more glamorous places, right? One of the more, um, interesting kind of historical places, been to university of Texas. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, listen, I'm from Tennessee, grew up as a kid, as a Tennessee fan, Gainesville, I'll leave it because it's Florida. But it's not a bad town. It's not a bad college vibe. Um, I'll give you a couple off-the-radar places that I thought were really, really interesting. Um, the, the most memorable moment I ever had with college game day was at the Air Force Academy. Hmm. Um, there was a situation, and, and for anybody that understands the anticipation of something, you'll really understand this. So there was supposed to be a flyover right at the top of the right. show. And as anyone knows, military, those everything is to the second. Yeah. Well, they were late. They were about 30 seconds. It turned out to be about 30 seconds late. So we take the shot of the sky where they're supposed to come over right at like 10, 
0.00 whatever. And the director, shout out to my man Zoe, goes, where are they? They're late. And Big Suge, we called him, the executive producer or coordinating producer, he says, just sit on it. Just sit on it. Just sit on it. The entire truck is quiet. Everybody's staring at this camera shot. And there's just nothing. And then all of a sudden, the planes come over. The truck shakes. The crowd goes crazy. I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. It was one of the most electric moments that started with this high level of anticipation that I've ever been a part of. It was really, really cool. The only time I could think of having a better feeling in a moment is the first time I ran out of the tunnel at Beaver Stadium. So you do the math on that. That was really, really cool. And then a couple other places, uh, one of them that I felt like was absolutely impossible to get to was Texas Tech. Um, I'll never forget, even though I didn't hear it live – Hearing it later because of what I saw, the big catch by Michael Crabtree to oh, beat yeah. Texas. Got the big guy, touchdown, Texas Tech, the whole thing. I was standing about 10 yards away from Crabtree when he caught that ball. That was interesting. And then being – I don't care what people think. I look at what the late, because it just happened, the late T-Boom Pickens did for Oklahoma mm-hmm. State – what they have in Stillwater at that stadium yeah. is incredible, and it was his money, and he wrote checks. I believe in the end it was something like a total of $560 million that he put into Boone Pickens Stadium in Stillwater. That place is gorgeous. It's an interesting little town. Not a whole lot there. It's just the school. Yeah. Um, but that was a pretty, pretty cool scene and, and a pretty good thing to be a part of. And then, of course – a BCS championship game down in New Orleans, yeah. Ohio State, and I think LSU that year. Um, that was just – that was a whole other thing. All right, now the important question, because with all that – and that's exciting, don't get me wrong, that's great That's great stuff. But give us the food. Tell us about the food, because you and I are good – you know, and Dave too, you know, we all uh, like our yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite restaurants, favorite meals? Oh, man. So I can be bad with restaurant names, uh, but there's a restaurant in Baton Rouge it's attached to the hotel I stayed at. It's a newer hotel. Now, I can't think of the name of the hotel. You got me on the spot here. Re, they have – their uh, etouffee was tremendous. Mm. Of course, you, I mean, you're down in, in the boot, yeah. as they call it. You got to do that. Um, Florida – well, it was an LSU game. They were playing Florida. I had some essentially smoked alligator. Oh. Um, that's a scene. We they, haven't done that, Dave. Yeah, they, they get after it down in, 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 uh, in Baton Rouge. Um, listen, if you find yourself in Texas, you guys mentioned the guarantee game at TCU. Yeah. Find you some brisket. Oh, yeah. Find some brisket. Um, there's going to be plenty of that in Fort Worth. Um, and then, you know what? <laughs> and, 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 Dave, I should have made sure you got a, got a real good feel for this. Should have got you a fried fish plate at ECU. Yeah, I probably right. Yeah, we probably we, right. we got to get that. You done. didn't play that. Tri- you didn't do that trip right. Well, uh, there's a whole bunch of aspects to that trip. Um, but yeah, so food, food. I always say the atmosphere at college games is so yeah. great because of the tailgating concept and what they say, Dave. They 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 get out there six hours ahead of kickoff. Only because they can't get out there earlier. Correct. At EC, that's at ECU. Yeah. yeah. At Penn State, I know they parked the RVs over the yeah. night before. And they're out there all night and then into the morning. Yeah, they that, don't care. The, the book that was written probably 10 years ago, Rammer, Hammer, Yellow Jammer, about those who tailgate and take the RVs to Alabama football games is a really good one. Because, I mean, they leave like 
Tuesday and get there Wednesday and hang out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and right into Saturday. So I got an old old WFNZ story. So when I first came down here, Athens too, Athens, Athens. Georgia. Well, Shout Athens. So so this comes into that. So uh, we're with uh, Mark Packer. We used to do the Southern Fried Football Tour. Well, Packer did the Southern Fried Football Tour, but it was part of the station. And uh, so uh, we go to the, uh, Athens. First time I'd ever been to Between the Hedges. And uh, now this is pre nine eleven, right? So this is probably nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. and we're, we're we're driving through town. And uh, back then, the the premise of the Southern Fried Football Tour was: you give us tickets, uh, you can come with us, and it's a party all the way down, and we'll tailgate, and we'll have a good time. Um, for whatever reason, and this was like the early stages of the Southern Fried Football Tour, so we weren't getting amenities, right? So uh, I think they called up to Georgia and couldn't get a parking pass. Mm-hmm. So so and Pac, Mark Packer was always like, ah, screw it. We'll just we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So you know, he I think he was actually driving. So we're driving through uh, through Athens, and uh, you know we come up on the stadium. We you know take a left hand turn and we see this security guard, and you know they start talking and we had just been acquired by CBS, and uh, and so the business we had business cards that had CBS the CBS logo on it. And who's doing the game that day? But CBS. And I think Sean McDonough was actually calling the game. Uh, was he, actually, yeah, I think they were still at CBS. Man. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pre nine eleven. Yeah. So, uh, so our general manager was with us. He slaps his business card. He's like, "Hey, where was CBS? We're supposed to be right behind the truck." The guy's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so we, we pulled the RV in right behind the TV truck, <laughs> and, and out comes Sean McDonough. And Sean's a friend of mine. It's like, "Hey, Sean, what's going on?" He's like, "Hey, <laughs> what are you doing?" That is there? tremendous. <laughs> Uh, the other thing about Athens, it was kind of cool. So we kind of went out and we, we started hanging out in some of the parking lots with some of the people. And uh, we're on this, like, little bluff, I guess you will, and uh, we're talking to the people. And it, it kind of comes down into, like, a ravine or something like that. Yep. And they said, hey, so uh, having a good time. And someone said, referenced uh, Bone Hill. And Packer's like, well, what's what's Bone Hill? It's like, well, we t- eat our chicken bones and we throw them down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's st- And that's still a thing. Yeah. Oh, Bone Hill's a thing down yeah, there. Yeah, I know. Now. I know. Yeah, that – it, Athens is an interesting. It's oh, a great town. It's a great college town, and you know, I, I think that's what I enjoyed so much about game day was going to some of these smaller, whether it's Athens, a uh, Clemson. Yeah. I mean, we didn't go to Clemson a lot during those times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but just going to some of these college towns, uh, went to Tuscaloosa, been to Auburn. You know, um, trying to think of Texas. Te- listen, yeah. Lubbock, Texas takes forever. To get to, especially if you're in coming a day. from, Forever from in a connect, day. Connecticut. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. It it takes a there's while no to get flights. there. No, there's no. You got to go. I think we went uh, Hartford to Atlanta to Dallas to Lubbock. Jeez. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's all day. Did you throw in a plane, uh, a train, and an automobile I, there? Yeah, pretty much. And then I remember getting stuck in Atlanta. Oh man. Trying to get to uh, Tallahassee um, because of thunderstorms. Um, that was probably should have drove. Well, and that was the thing. After a while, it was like, man, if we were just driven, we would have been there by now. Right. But at that point, it was like, well, at this point, we've canceled all TV for Friday. So <laughs> why get in a rush to go there? We'll just hang out in the Atlanta airport. A bunch of us had some more work to do anyway because that's a non-stop work environment. Shout out to those guys. They do a great job, Lee Fitting uh, and the whole crew over there. Mike, we must pick games before we, do. we call it a wrap. We do. You are 2-0 I am. picking your Patriot games against the spread, and this week's game is an even larger spread. If you thought it was easy to cover 19 against the Dolphins yeah. last week, this week the Pats are 22 at home mm. over the Jets. You've taken the Pats both weeks. You're 2-0. and Where are you going? All right, so when I initially saw the line on this, it was actually, believe it or not, 18, and... 
So I started thinking about it. I started looking at the numbers. And the actually the difference between the Patriots' uh, uh, points per game given up and the points scored by the Jets is 18 points. So this is a very difficult decision. I did. I took the over last week, or I took. I laid the points, meaning uh, Patriots had to win by 19. I sweated it out early because early on it was a fairly close game. Yep. And then of course the second half they blew them away. So I'm going to say uh, third quarterback against Bill Belichick. This is a tough. I mean, 22 points. It's 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 like begging to be taken, isn't it? They also got no film on this kid, though. That that's true. That's true. They I'm going to no you know what, on him. you know what I I I I sweated the 19 too much, even though I shouldn't have. I'm going to I'm going to take the uh, I'll take the points this time. The Jets plus 22. Yeah. I'm two and zero as well. I've taken Indy both weeks. I'm taking the Rams minus three at Cleveland this week. That's it. That's the Bearded Carcass. Thanks to Reggie Walker. Thanks to Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. We'll touch base next week. Be a part of the show. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Excellent.